please put your hands together. I mean, a big round of applause for one of the great living legends of this music, Mr. Chick Corea. <laughs> Chick Corea. <laughs> well, thanks to you, people showed up. <laughs> Anyhow, Chick, you know, since we've been working together so much with the Five Piece Band for the last few months with John McLaughlin. Well, let's see, we're, we're, we covered Europe, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. Did we ever. Yeah, that, that, this, is a, this band we're out with, you know, this is a dream band for me. Uh, first of all, John and I, John McLaughlin and I are old friends from, yeah. from when he first came to New York in 69. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, aside from working with Miles a little bit and doing, doing those recordings, and he played a couple of gigs with us, we never really did a project together, and I always wanted to. So I actually brought him the idea I said, well, let's see, I, I want to bring him some musicians I love to play with and I think would re he would really like to, you know. Yeah. So then I called you up, yes. I called up uh, Kenny Garrett, and, I, I, and then I called up Vinny Caluda, who I knew already played with John, yes. and that they had a good rapport, you know. And I presented the idea to John, and he, he liked it right away, yeah. you know. And, you know, he's not, he's not known, if you, if you follow what happens uh, on that scene, he's not known to, to do a lot of collaborative projects right. through the years, you know. Right. But this one, he, he liked it, and we put it together, and... You told me another great story, just to back up a little bit. Uh, you had a... Was it for the entire summer where you played at the Sands in yeah. Las Vegas? Yeah, that was that, was that, that was the summer before I was just talking about, because yeah. it was my, my, uh, the summer right after high school graduation, yeah. and I got this gig with a quintet the Tommy McCormick Bobby Boyle quintet. <laughs> Bobby Boyle was actually a vibraphone player, and they 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 had their act was like based on uh, Louis Prima. Right. And and I and I had to play stuff like dunga 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 dunga, you know. But but they did give me a a trio tune, and I I remember I used to play Billy Boy with the rhythm section. Right. Right. From the Miles version, or or did you do the? No, I did Red Garland's arrangement. I played his solo. <laughs> I was deep in. I can understand that. So that was a, that was a, that was a, that was nice. You're in New York. You've been in New York for probably less than a year by now. I know one of your first gigs was with Mago Santa Maria. Well, one of, one of the first gigs were with like kind of a name group where yeah. I started to meet the, the cats. Yeah. And what, when would that have been? Uh, you know, pretty soon after I got there, I met a I met a. Uh, I met a tenor player named Al Abreu, yeah. and uh, you'd have to be real deep into the lore to remember Al, because he wasn't <laughs> around that long, but he was working with Mongo, yeah. and uh, he introduced me to that clique and that band, and, and I don't know, maybe I was filling in for someone, but I went to a rehearsal, and then I found myself on the gig. One of our first gigs was uh, A Week at Birdland, uh -huh. so there I found myself playing at Birdland. There's one record I know you played on with Cal Jader. Now, that was after both Mongo and Willie, correct? Yeah, that that was uh, that was more like '63 or '64. Now Cal Jada was was really hot at that time. Yeah, 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 that's right. In fact, that was recorded also out at Weehawken. That was yeah. the, uh, that was. Was a, that the Soul Sauce album? I thought it was called Soul Burst. Soul something. You played with Sarah Vaughn. Tell us how you hooked up with Sarah. Uh, let's see. How did I get that gig? I know the pianist before me playing for Sarah was Bob James. Mm. And um, I don't know how I got the recommendation. Might have been through the drummer, Steve Schaefer. Steve yeah. Schaefer was playing drums, and Herbie Mickman was the bass player. But anyway, I found myself on the gig, and there was Sarah Vaughn. Wow. 
Yeah. That was a great year and a half for me. That was fabulous working with that lady. What are some of the things I'm, that you took from that gig? Because I, I remember one specific thing you told me is that Sarah let you really stretch out. That, that was one of the joys of that gig. At, at you know, like mid, mid-60s mid or so. No, and that, and that was a little bit later. That was like 66, 67. Mm. And uh, I was deep into Ascension and, and Ornette. And, right. uh, and when we'd jam in New York, I was very, very much into n- not wanting to see any sheet music or, <laughs> or play on any forms. I just want to be free. Play and, free, yeah. And, and uh, just explore. So I got the gig with Sarah, and, and you know, I... Of course, I, we were playing songs. We were, we were playing right. Misty and Sarah's repertoire and so forth. But uh, she heard that I was kind of exploring a little bit behind her. Yeah. And uh, I did it cautiously at first, but she kind of encouraged me. And the thing I loved about her is she was like one of the guys in the band. She, she'd hang out at the bar afterwards. She'd smoke, oh, yeah. smoke a cigarette, you know, call me over and, and chat. And, and she played piano as well. Very well, too. Yeah. She played some hip voicings and... When you were in Sarah's band, I know that you got the call that just completely changed your life. Please tell us about it. Yeah, well, let's see now. Uh, uh, About a a year and a half into Sarah's gig, we we had a gig coming up, I think, two weeks from from that moment. But Tony Williams called me, who was a friend from Boston. I knew Tony from Boston. He said, uh, Miles wants you to come, come and play with the band in Baltimore. Starting, uh, uh, I think, starting in a week, you know, in a week's time. I got all excited, but I didn't know what to do about Sarah's gig because, uh, you know, that was a good it gig. was really tough. I mean, I had yeah. a promise to play Sarah's gig. It was, it was really hard for me. So, so I, actually, I kind of pulled it off because I uh, finally worked out that what I should do is get someone who really knew the book, who knew Sarah's music. So I called Bob James up because he was the pianist just before me. Right. But he, Bob was already starting his own thing. He was starting right. his own career. And uh, he was really reluctant. He said, no, I got these things. And then I called him two or three times. I pleaded with him. <laughs> I said, Bob, you got to do this for me, man. Just, just, like, just like for that gig until we get someone else. And yeah. he, finally, he finally was uh, uh, nice enough to do that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I went to Baltimore. Wow. At this uh, funky little club, and uh, I called up. I called up Miles. I guess. I guess when I found out I was going to go, I called him up. Tony gave me his number, and, and I asked him. Uh, I said, "We're going to rehearse." <laughs> When's the rehearsal? <laughs> and he laughed. <laughs> and he said, "Just play what you hear." Just he said, "Just what play you what you hear." Yeah. So I got there not knowing really all the tunes or the changes. And uh, <laughs> the band was flying, too, if you yeah. remember, at that time live. Wow. Dave Holland was playing bass. And, and Wayne. he had also just joined, right? Dave, Dave, Dave had just joined the band. But, yeah. but uh, I think he knew the changes to, to the tunes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a glorious week. So man. I heard you say you, you would just hold on to Tony's coattail, right? Oh, just... yeah. Well, Miles said, play what you hear. So that's what I did. Uh, after the first set, I wanted to see whether I'd get kicked out of the band or not. But Miles gave me a nice compliment, and, yeah. and uh, things were good from then. Now, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Anthony Braxton, but I've always been fascinated with the music he's made through the years. I remember buying his records and seeing, you know, like, Calculus, you know, on the back of the record. Yeah. And that would be the name of the tune. Yeah. You know, it'd be like an equation. Be like, yo, what's up with that? Man? Yeah. Anthony, Anthony just ha- has a, a, a total, you know, 
individual approach to music. He's got a certain thing that he likes to that he likes to, to do. I mean, I don't I don't I don't even care to try to describe it, but I know that I know he hones it up and and uh, he brought a he brought an element of uh, of. Uh, Kind of uh, quirkiness into the band, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I, I'll tell you, I'll describe a tune that we did. But we, no, we had this one tune where where uh, Anthony had a name for it. The idea was the whole band would play a note, any note, we choose a note, and we play a note and hold it for a little while, and then let it go, and then leave some space, and then play another note. So it sounded something like this: we'd go, ah, And we keep doing that. Right. I mean, keep doing that. Like, like four instruments continue. And what it would do is it would produce these incredible... Like, if I kept doing that to you right now, you'd see it. It'd drive you nuts. Our, our, our various things would happen. And that's right. what happened. Various things would happen. People would crack up. They'd leave. Uh, they'd cry. Uh, they'd say, stop. They'd yell. And, and it was a provoking kind of a right, thing. It was right, a right. Funny, funny thing we did, you know. Talk about the transition between that into uh, one of the most romanticized periods in your career, and that was Return to Forever. How did you get from there to hooking up with Stanley Clark and Flora Nierto? And, because that was your next project yeah, right after that. That's huh? right. It, it, was a, it was a similar thing that happens to artists all the time. It's yeah. like, it's like you, you, you're creating and creating, and, and your ideas change, and you, you want to explore, explore new territory or different territory. Were you thinking, this is getting too out? Well, I, I just, it, it, I loved every moment of it, but, yeah. but, but I, I, I started to want to introduce melodic elements and rhythmic elements. I missed the groove, really, is one of the things, one of the main things. I wanted, right. I wanted to, to hear that groove again. So it was, uh, it was something, it was just a natural thing. We, we said, well, maybe it's time for us to try some different things. Yeah. So I went, I went um, uh, back to New York at that time because we were in L.A. And, and I had, you know, I had already written one of the songs that appeared on the first Return to Forever record, I wrote that during the Circle period, and we played it with Circle. Which we played some time ago ah, in La kid. Fiesta with Circle. And oh. uh, so I brought some of those first tunes back to New York and with the idea of putting a, a, a grooving uh, melodic band yeah. together. And, and fortunately, I had a gig in Philadelphia with uh, Joe Henderson's band, and that's where I met Stanley. Ah, okay. Mm. Who was playing? Was that Joe Chambers? No, it was a, you know, I forget that drummer's name. He was, at the time, he was a real young, he, he played great kid. Pete Yellen was on that gig. Wow. Yeah, and Julian Priester was on that gig. Wait, it wasn't Lenny, was it? Hmm? It wasn't Lenny. No, it wasn't was, Lenny, no. Oh. No. But so you meet Stanley Clark on the Joe Henderson gig. Yeah, we hooked up right away. Yeah. It, it was like an instant, like, wait, let's, let's do some Stanley more things Clark together. Stanley Clark from Philadelphia. Yeah, that's right. Another Philly man. And how did you hook up with Flora and Ayerto? Well, Stanley and I did, did a bunch of experimentation with trios. We, we did some trio. We had, we had different drummers play. I actually asked Pete LaRoga to play drums with us. Uh, so we tried some, some various things. And um, so finally, Horaciano uh, was right. playing drums with us. And uh, I was trying some of these samba tunes out. I had a couple of samba tunes. So I asked Flora to come because I wanted a vocal. I wanted, I wanted to, to vocalize with, with uh, some... With, uh, some time ago and so forth. So she brought Ayerto along. Mm. Now I, ha I didn't know Ayerto played trap drums because with Miles he just played uh, hand percussion. Right. So at one rehearsal, uh, I knew you know I, here's here's my two Brazilian friends and this was a samba, and and um, 
So I said, Horace, let's 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 let Ayrtu show show us some samba beats here, you know. <laughs> that was the end of it, man. Ayrtu sat behind the drums and 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 what and a great the, band. The music came to came, was was what I wanted at that point, you know. Yeah. So that that's how that band formed, Ayrtu on drums and Flora. And that first edition of Return of Forever, I, in in my humble opinion, that's some of the most perfect music I think ever ever recorded man just the sound of the roads and the flute just so gorgeous man I, I wanted to I wanted to acknowledge Christian you know because we've known each other for years now we've been through uh, a great number of projects together I was listening to you years before we played together and um, I think Christian embodies like the the uh, the whole history of jazz. I mean, he's he's got everything going. I only knew I I only knew you playing the Big Bertha there. That's the, right. Uh, that's actually Minnie. Oh, that's Minnie. Bertha's retired. Bertha's retired. It was Minnie. The acoustic bass. Uh, but it wasn't until this tour we're doing that that I I got Christian's prowess on the electric bass. So you got the whole thing covered. Band leader, composer. I've always felt a special kinship with you for a number of reasons. A, we're both Geminis, so there's mm -hmm. four of us up here, actually. <laughs> um, we both played football at one point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we both went to Juilliard. Mm -hmm. uh, we both came to New York City immediately after high school because we wanted to be in New York where all of our great jazz legends lived. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've noticed that watching you uh, I know exactly what you're thinking without you saying anything, and vice versa. <laughs> I think that's why we get along so well. You said Horace Silver was one of your earliest influences as a composer. Horace broke me into uh, uh, the the act of composing for small group because because uh, you know the when I first started listening to my dad's 78 vinyls, yeah. he had a bunch of 78 vinyls. He had uh, he had Dizzy Gillespie and. Uh, uh, Charlie Parker. He had he had Billy Eckstein big band. He mm. had Dizzy's big band. You know things to come. Uh, mm. uh, so that that was the you know. But I liked the small group music. I like listening to to Bird and Diz and, and Bud and the, the rhythm sections and all that. But I could. It was too fast for me to 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 do anything with when I was like five six years old. Right. So. Uh, <laughs> well, not for me. No, sorry. I was way behind. So, no, but when when I heard Horace's uh, records, his, his arrangements and his melodies were were understandable right. to me, and I could grasp them. And I started uh, learning music by transcribing, you know. And and he gave me the idea that I could write a tune. Uh, you told me this really great story about. I think you guys was it at the Fillmore. It was one particular night you said Miles joined you guys. So you guys were pushing the envelope oh. so far. Oh, out. that's pretty funny. No, no, you know that was that was at the both end in San Francisco. In, in San Francisco, I remember that because yeah. uh, as the band developed, that that was called. They they now call that in the magazines the Lost Quintet. Yeah, I think that's an apropos title for <laughs> for that band because it never got properly recorded in. A, in Which a Miles story. laments in his autobiography. He was really angry about that. Oh, really? Did yeah, he, he, did he said say Columbia that? missed out on the whole. <laughs> Thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One night, at the both end, while while Wayne and the rhythm section were like swirling around and through the stars, Miles walks up on stage. He walked right to the front of the the, the <laughs> and played like two hundred Don Cherries, like like. <laughs> 
like played some unbelievable stuff. I never heard him, you know, and, and, and we all got real excited. We thought, wow, he's joining in on this free thing. Right. And like, wow, we, wow, we bashed all around it. And then he, t he, took it, he took it to that thing that he, that little signature thing that he usually does when, when we would take out, take the set out. And he played, da 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 and we'd end the set. So we walked off the stage slapping each other, high five, oh, yeah, wow, Miles joined us, you know, and we were still doing, me and Jack and, and, and Dave, and we were still doing that. We were in the back room going like that, you know, and Miles walked in, and we turned to Miles smiling like that, going like this, and then we saw that he wasn't smiling. <laughs> and so we kind of stopped for a He And you know, he, he, like he phrases, he took his time with this, with this one. <laughs> and he stood there and he looked at us and as he spoke the phrase or the sound he turned and walked away he said shh yeah <laughs> and that was the end of that kind of direction in music 